All right, good morning, everybody. This is Mike Courtney coming to you. I'm here with Steve Parisi, as always, from IBC Global. Steve, how are you today? Mike, I am fantastic. How are you doing, my friend? Good, good. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, life insurance underwriting. So um, if you're listening, try to keep control of yourself. I know it's an exciting topic, but uh, you know this is something that's near and dear to to mine and Steve's heart, and this is, you know, where we spend a lot of our time. Uh, a mentor of mine told me years ago that the devil's in the details with uh, with life insurance case underwriting. I didn't really understand what he meant at the time, and I certainly do now. So, uh, you know, Steve in particular, I wanted to ask you, we have worked on a lot of cases in the past where we have a client come in, they have a plan in mind, they have goals that they're trying to accomplish and they have a certain amount of money that they are willing to pay and want to pay into a whole life policy or a cash accumulation uh, insurance policy. And the underwriter says no, or the company says no. Um, how do you like high level how do you explain this? And, and there's not really much we can do to work around, but how do we kind of work those cases through or, or massage them so that they're, you know, it's a more desirable kind of risk for the insurance company? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is great for listeners to hear because when you think underwriting, right, when you want to buy a life insurance policy, if it be for if it's for cash accumulation, that's great, but it's still a liability to the insurance company. So you've got the medical underwriting. And most people are familiar or we educate them enough on that where they get that, you know, based on their health. But the financial underwriting, that's that's the fun one that comes up sometimes because information is needed. So to your point, um, in a case where someone wants to pay in a lot of money. So, for example, you say, hey, I want to pay in $50,000 per year into a life insurance policy to build cash value and have a death benefit. But then the underwriter tells me I can't do it, right? Right. Right. So what we'll do is always be transparent. You know, if I'm the client, I try and think of it that way. I want to know the reason why. Okay, why? So I can better understand it. And really, it has to do with financial guidelines that underwriters have. Insurance companies, they're all very similar, but you'll find them a little bit different, the guidelines from company to company. As far as, yeah, as far as what they will accept in terms of how much money I, as a potential consumer, can pay into a life insurance policy, whether that be premium or PUAs. Because if you're dumping PUAs in, you're accelerating the cash value, you get death benefit, but, you know, a consumer or even myself will view it, hey, you're you're putting money in there and you have access to it. But from a compliance and an underwriting standpoint, the company has got to be careful. They're protecting themselves. They're making sure they abide by guidelines. Um, so there are guidelines there that are going to restrict how much one can put in based off standard limits. So do you have, I know that, uh, I mean, it's kind of a leading question as I know the answer, but explain this. Um, will you look for uh, certain types of riders that um, are a little more flexible and would allow for more flexible premium dump-ins in the future. So in my mind, 
the way I see this playing out is, look, we've got kind of a box that we're operating in where, um, you know, if somebody's income is $80,000 a year, an underwriter is not going to approve a case where they're paying $50,000 a year in life insurance premium, even if their existing assets and their expenditures would allow them to do so. They're just not going to allow that kind of ratio. But certain companies could have riders built into their policies where they say, okay, the base premium is going to be X, but we're going to give you the ability on an annual basis to pay two times X in a flexible way. Um, and that's something that you could kind of do on the fly. So I'm assuming that that becomes part of your planning and part of the case design. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it depends on the company. Some companies, you know, if you set a policy up to use your example, uh, where someone makes $80,000 per year, typically the maximum scheduled payment one can pay into a policy based off their income, it ranges typically between what 15 and the highest I've seen it is around 30%. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Can we make it a hundred thousand? I think it'll be easier for if if your income's a hundred grand per right. year. What that means is the maximum scheduled premium that an underwriter will be comfortable with is typically going to fall between fifteen and thirty percent. So fifteen and thirty k depends on the company age. There's other factors there. Well, and you might have some flexibility depending on client assets. I mean, if the client's sitting on five million dollars in cash, different story. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and those are cases where we've worked on where someone's retired, he has 150 grand in you know pensions, retirement sources, but he's got millions of dollars in cash. He buys a large policy because he's stuffing money in. Hey, that's no problem because it's he can afford it. Right. It's more so affordability is what the underwriter's looking at in a case like this. Correct. Absolutely. So there's you know there are there's income guidelines. That are, you know, rule of thumb type guidelines, but really they, they want to look at the whole picture. And that's why it's important for, you know, you, I mean, you know, we do this every day when we're working on a case, you and I put our heads together and really tell the story. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have, to, you have to paint a picture for the underwriter and show them what's going on here, what the plan is, what's the affordability um, and income and assets are, you know, play a huge part in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and let me touch on the riders because you would ask and I just ask you a different question. Sorry. <laughs> so it depends on the insurance carrier because all companies have different rules around their riders, PUA riders specifically, how you can dump money into policies. And we'll talk about this a lot with flexibility, right? Where if I have a policy with a $5,000 base premium, some companies will allow you to dump money into PUAs up to 2x or 3x that some let you go 3x uh, some let you go 10x that some don't have a limit depends on the insurance company and their rules and the thing is really the only restriction you'll have there after a case is approved is the company's guidelines what multiplier is it if i have a five thousand dollar base premium that's my scheduled payment and if I have the means in future years to add additional funds on an unscheduled basis by throwing funds into PUAs, whether it's another 10000 or 50000 I can do that kind of stuff because it's on an unscheduled basis and I'm not committed to it. The, under, the underwriter, I, I feel like, and you'll know this way better than me because you 
deal with them every day, is looking at how much are you the agent committing the policyholder to because it has to fit in our guidelines from a scheduled payment standpoint. Yep. From, yep, from the affordability and then the death benefit too with the income guidelines and how you justify it. Yeah. So if I'm an agent working with you and your team, who handles all of this? You know, so not just the financial underwriting, all of the back and forth minutiae yeah. that goes on with regards to underwriting in general. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that takes up, for somebody like me, it takes up the majority of my day. Unfortunately. You know, I mean, I'm constantly fighting to spend more time trying to get in front of agents and advisors and less time bogged down in underwriting details. But for me, in my role, some of it's inevitable. If I'm an agent working with you, I submit a case. What happens from there from an underwriting perspective? Does your team take over or how, how does it work? Yeah, good question. So we've got a case management department that processes applications, follows up with the client on a regular basis. I don't want the agent to do that. I want them to continue to work with that client on the overall plan, continue to work with their other prospects and clients and keep them more efficient. I've got a department that handles nothing but applications, correspondence with underwriting, with you, your team, and other carriers we work with as well. But I will add, when cases come up, because it happens more often than not, where to call it a unique situation, for example, someone that makes $100,000 per year and he wants to put in 200 grand per year for five years. So he needs a big death benefit for, so it doesn't mech out, all that kind of stuff. And you and I know underwriters are going to see that and just say, okay, what's going on here? But as you disclose everything, okay, because he's got millions of dollars in the bank, he's due to receive an inheritance, like he can handle it no problem. It doesn't even come out of his income. That case has to be delicately handled where our case management team knows what to look for there to say, hey, before we submit this, this don't meet the ordinary guidelines with whatever company we're looking at. Can you look at that? Do we look at a cover let's letter? Try, let's try and get in front of this before. Yeah. 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 Because, yeah. yeah, I've learned, and you can probably share this with anyone, I've learned the doing it the opposite way, just submit it and try and fix it after the fact. You don't want to do that. <laughs> now, if an underwriter gets it, gets it, on an initial review, has a bad taste in their mouth about a case. Um, you know, the underwriters that I work with are still open to, you know, review. And as we talk about more details that weren't clear on the application, that's fine. But I'd so much rather get in front of that situation up front yeah. and present the full story, you know, day one as the app's going in. It's going to make it easier for the underwriter to review, makes it easier for them to approve. Yeah. With uh, coming back with a lot of pushback. Um, absolutely. I hope any of the advisors who are listening to this took note of those last couple of minutes, because what I've found is that that's a really tough spot for advisors. They're out there trying to meet new clients. They're trying to bring in new business. And then, you know, they really can't afford to spend half of their day responding to uh, you know, your driver's license was written down incorrectly on the application, or, you know, we can't find this dot. Did you see this cardiologist? The fact that you've got a team in place, um, that's a huge, huge value add.
for any advisors who, uh, you know, might be looking at working with you. And they should really, they, they should really uh, put a lot of stock in that, that that's in place and I can vouch for it. So yeah. Could- Thank Thanks. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. How I look at it is again, how do you make everyone efficient, like an agent or an advisor there, the time that is most valuable is time when they're on phone calls now or zoom calls or meeting with their prospects and clients providing information. Their time is not as valuable working on applications, getting a case through as important as that is. My thought was, hey, can we just put departments in there to streamline that stuff and get everybody very efficient in their in their respective position and then just hum. So it takes time, right? I mean, you've seen the the speed bumps and we still have them. Yeah, Those always pop there's, up. Always, there's always bumps in the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the department, right, they had to be trained and we've got a training system that helps automate it as we bring on new people. They can get the basics and then we I spend time with every department multiple times per week. That's where my time has been lately with most, I don't know how long, the past several months. But it, it's effective getting everyone as efficient as possible so you can just move. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, look, if you're an advisor and you're listening to this and you want to learn more about Steve Parisi and IBC Global, reach out to Steve. Anytime, feel free to reach out to Mike Courtney, Mass Mutual Eastern PA, and hope everybody has a great day. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Talking to you later on today about more underwriting and uh, case minutiae. Right on. Like to call right on. All right, thanks cheers. so much, Mike. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thank you.